Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome out there, rock and rollers, to the 36th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in central London, just off Abbey Road. And this week, we're doing part two of the KISS biography, history, if you will, on A&E here recently, recapping the 50 years of KISS. Now, the fact of the matter is, once you get me in action talking about KISS, it's hard to stop us. There's a lot of things to cover, and although there were some great things in the documentary, new bits and pieces, new information that really turned us on, that was great to learn, we also have to wrap in stuff that we've known previously, or from old interviews from stuff that we've learned over the years and talk about the stuff we love. And so on this part, we're going to just take a little bit deeper dive on some of the stuff we didn't really cover in part one. To that end, we're not going to have a big preamble here. The show is already long enough and we're doing part two. But as always, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at ugly underscore werewolf and at actionjack72. Make sure you check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com and check us out on feedspot.com. We're featured in their top 25 rock music podcasts. So with that, let's just jump right back in. Part two on Annie's history here on The Wolf. Hey Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, 
I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, <laughs> oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Well, the one thing that I came up on my YouTube feed was that God gave rock and roll to you, mm -hmm. a track from Bill and Ted. And I was like, eh, I haven't seen this in a while. Let me take a look at this. So they detailed how it was basically the day before Eric Carr died or a day or two, something like that. He was there. He wasn't on the track. Right. Eric Singer had cut the track, but Carr begged to be in the video, uh, which was sad but cool because it was the last time you were going to see him. Right. But the point of it was that I hadn't seen that video for a long time. And it was for the movie, so they had Kiss in a some kind of, I don't know, hockey arena or something. Or an airline hangar or something like that. Yeah, it was weird. And then scenes from the movies, but what they had was old stuff from Kiss, like a kind of a retrospective, but it was all the makeup days. And I remember watching that when it came out with you saying, well, that's interesting because you're pretty much glossing over, like they didn't have anything from the early 80s. It was all 70s stuff with Ace and Peter. Like, yeah, you're right. That was the good old days. Are we, what, what are we doing here? Are we waxing nostalgic? Are we doing something? And so I think that was like the first little piece of maybe they're, you know, maybe they will get back together. Maybe they, something might happen because 
if I remember correctly, up till that point, they were always kind of like, yeah, that was a million years ago. We it happened, but you know, we're moving on now. And, that, and then it seemed like that point in time, maybe they maybe they were nostalgic for the good old days of Kiss. Well, that's interesting. And I'm of course I watched the video as well just to check it out again, realizing that it was Carr's final performance really with Kiss. I assume he had on some kind of a wig. Um, I assume I, I would think so. Yeah, yeah, because it kind of looked that way. It was awfully thick, and I'm like, "There's no way his hair's that thick if he'd been under radiation and had heart right. surgery and all that stuff." But yeah, I, in Kiss Exposed, which came out before Extreme Close Up, they were kind of celebrating everything they had done in the '80s and like since the breakup of the original band, and like here and you know there were a couple of videos from the makeup days, and, and I think they ended with Rock and Roll All Night from Australia if I'm not mistaken. I think Maybe so, yeah. from like 1980 or something like that. So, you know, they were they were mixing in a little bit of it. But it was Exposed was kind of more fun and check out everything we've done now. When they got to Extreme Close-Up, which I think came out while we were in college. I mean, they, they talk about the revenge record and on there, don't they? Yeah, that, that was basically... I think Revenge had just come out. Yeah. So that was the latest one. And yeah, they went through. But in that one, they did talk about stuff from the 80s. Well, yeah, they did. They did. But I think think in that one, yes, because they went through the whole history of it. Like, okay, look, Peter and Ace basically kicked themselves out of the band, had to leave on their own accord, or had to leave because drugs forced them. And it's like, and now... Um, you know, we've got a stable band again. They went through the stuff in the 80s, but it was like they were ready to pay some homage to their 70s. You know, it wasn't just about this is what we're doing now. We've grown since then. At that point, they were ready to be a little nostalgic because they've been together about 20 years at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and even in the even in the uh, extreme close up, they did basically say that the 80s were mailed in. Everything, pretty much everything past the, I think the elder that was something that that was a, that was a passion project, and then that kind of went. It didn't do so well, mm-hmm. and then everything after that was kind of like, yeah, we're we kind of we could have done that a little. We could have worked a little harder on it. We could have done that a little more. Just put a little more work into it. Is what it seemed like they were saying there. And then that, and then at the revenge time, now that, that was the first record. I think that was the first record that Gene had really been involved with since for a long time. Oh, you know, it showed yeah. up, done the writing, done everything for it. He was back in the band, even though he'd never really left. Right. Not trying to be a Hollywood mogul or, you know, starting all these 10 different side businesses or whatever. Right. Yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, you know, the other thing is they mentioned from around that time that I think really changed things for them, Jackson, is, you know, through the 70s, they keep talking about how Bill Coin really is, you know, a forward thinker, you know, and a genius of marketing and all that kind of thing. And his partner, Sean, was a big help to them. And, you know, Neil Bogart himself was huge to them, you know, and, and having not only a Bob Ezrin, but uh, Eddie Kramer, you know, just really helped them out at key times with their music and stuff like that. They're, they're giving them a lot of credit. Like Bill Coin had the idea to have Gene spit fire. Bill Coin's idea was to make sure we're never filmed or, you know, photographed without makeup. Bogart, who's like, we're going to have a drum riser or whatever, you know, all this kind of different stuff. So that, and so by 82, they lost Peter and Ace. They'd lost Bill LaCoyne as their manager. 
they were not on Casablanca anymore. You know, it all shifted. And they admitted that in the 80s and early 90s, essentially, they managed themselves. And then when it was time for them to do the reunion and get back together and do the big thing, like, okay, now we need a badass superstar manager to take care of us, right? You know, and that's when they got Doc McGee or Chip Magoo. Uh, if you've seen Scooby-Doo and Kiss and the Rock and Roll Mystery, whatever it was called. Love the love the show. Anyway, they needed Doc. So you can see there, no one's really ruddering the ship there for 12, 13, 14 years. I mean, yes, Gene and Paul are straight. They're smart businessmen. They're doing what's in their best interest, at least what they think. But it sounds like you're missing out on, and of course, Paul even produced some of the records. So like, they don't have a manager, they don't have a producer, they're doing everything themselves. They're not asking for help and they're not getting it unless it's from like Desmond Child or somebody like that, you know, which is taken away from who Kiss really are. And I think that that explains a lot of the 80s and why, you know, G.S. Gene's absent and some of the songs aren't all that memorable and some of the looks are completely regrettable. It's because there's there's no one at the ship, right? You're, are you referring to the Tears Are Falling robe? Uh, yeah, that could have been a misfire. Some of the, some of the, some of the day glow stuff is, yeah, it's a little... I mean, even Cinderella's probably looking at it like, what are they dressed up like? You know? <laughs> you know, it's interesting you say that too because when... It, at the beginning of the band, everything was equal, right? Mm-hmm. 25 for everyone. Ace and Peter are gone. Everybody else is a paid employee. So now it's just 50-50, Gene and Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they did miss that. There was nobody there to tell them, eh, let's not do this. Let's do something else. I've got another idea. It was, you know, they they ruled the roost, mm-hmm. told everybody else what to do. And then if you've got Gene doing other things, now Paul is really running the whole thing by himself, you know, kind of in Gene's absence you know right. i'm sure he comes to him with hey, yeah, yeah, yeah sounds good great yeah let's do it fine so yeah I, I think to your point you do need that outside counsel you know saying yeah that's not a good idea i think we should do this and they pointed that out with with doc mcgee at the reunion saying oh we should you know do some club shows no club shows is a bad idea we're going to stadiums club sends the wrong wrong message that mm-hmm. we're not ready we're doing stadiums now and okay doc you're you're in charge of this part let's go and, and I, I think that that spells a big difference and i think the uh, all that kind of came about really back to where you're saying about the elder because of the elder to be honest with you I think Creatures of the Night was kind of like a last-ditch, tried-to-save-it kind of thing, honestly, because, you know, they got Bob Ezrin back, but now Bob's cocaine use was detrimental, right? I mean, I guess in Destroyer and in the 70s, it was working. He was at the top of his game. Cocaine hadn't taken over his life. He and Peter, I guess, were blowing up all the time, uh, allegedly. But then... Get to 81, and now his drug use is a problem. It's a concept album for a band of pop rock songs, you know, short, thrash you in the face, big riff songs with with sing-along type choruses. Now you're kind of going concept. Obviously, plus at the time, 1981, you know, the time of Duran Duran and MTV and the New Romantics, the techno stuff. And you're not only not kissed with these kind of odd short haircuts and, and trimmed down costumes, but you're doing World Without Heroes. And, and I don't remember when we saw that. They played a clip of that on Extreme Close Up. And you and I just saying, what in the world is this? It just didn't fit. It didn't fit at all. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if, if, if Gene had, and Paul had written that thing for somebody else, Mm-hmm. Another band that could have worked, but I mean, for Kiss, 
No, and and I they couldn't tour. Because, they couldn't tour because they couldn't sell right. tickets at this time. Yes, right? yeah, and and I feel bad because you you had this idea. You wanted to push the boundaries. Okay, you know, I'll, I'll give you that. You don't want to do the same thing. Cool. It's just it was just a misfire. Like it didn't work. Ace is gone pretty much. And then to your point, you know, uh, Creatures of the Night is kind of like a rebound deal. But again, Ace is not part of this at all. You're trying now. You're like, oh, we're way in the hole. We're trying to we're grasping at straws. Mm-hmm. The music business has changed. Yeah, that was a rough time for them. Yeah, it's too little too late, I feel like, at Creatures of the Night. Yeah. And, and, and Bob Ezrin, I mean, look, they're talking about making it into a film. Okay, maybe The Elder and all that, it's a concept for a movie, and you could have done music to it. But when the movie's then done, it's like, okay, this is just going to be our album. It's going to be Gene's idea. And Ezrin's even like, look, Ace played great on it, and he has a song, Dark Light, on it. He didn't like it. Now, what's weird to me is in the documentary, Ace defends it now, where I don't feel like he did for the longest time. But now he's like, you know, I, I think it's a good album. It was just the wrong time. I'm like, I, I don't I don't know when the right time for the elder is. But here's the thing, just on the strength, quote unquote, of those two songs, World Without Heroes, and then I, I Believe in Me which they made a video for. It's the cheesiest high school <laughs> musicalist, like, bop, bop, beep, bop, 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 I believe in me. It's so bad. And I'm like, no wonder you couldn't tour that. That's god-awful. It's the reason, to this day, I've still never listened to The Elder all the way through. So people who hear this might say, then you don't have a right to trash it because you haven't even listened to it. You haven't done the whole concept. And I'm like, well, all right, you have a fair point there. But based on sales and based on the strength of the sell of the singles, I know it's not that good. And I don't want to ruin the, the rest of Kiss by getting into that. Yeah, exactly. I can listen to other well, Kiss stuff to fill my time, you know. I can go and, deeper. And that was kind of the, that was the, the one thing that I did kind of like about this new documentary was it's in the extreme close-up. All that stuff was still kind of a little bit raw. Mm-hmm. And now that they've gone past that, they did the reunion. It, you know, There's a lot of water under the bridge. I don't think they're the best of friends or mm-hmm. friends at all. But at least they can look back and say, you know, it, like Ace said, eh, maybe it's, it's, it wasn't the worst thing on the face of the earth. I could find some decent parts of it. I think that they can – it just seemed like they were kind of older and wiser in this thing. Mm-hmm. And – really kind of more appreciated the, the entire ride instead of just, you know, saying that, you know, th- that Paul and Gene were never wrong, infallible. They made all the right decisions. Yeah, you know what? That was a misfire. Eh, the 80s probably shouldn't have done a lot of that stuff. But the, the one thing that I was kind of disappointed about was that you only had Dave Grohl and Tom Morello on mm-hmm. there. I remember hearing an interview with Scott Ian from Anthrax, and he said, basically, if you talk to anybody his age, like that, like early 80s metal guys, and ask them, you know, well, who was your first band? What was the first concert? Who got you into this? They would all, or not all, but maybe 99% say Kiss. Right. They, everybody loves Kiss. So to just have those two guys, and again, I realize it's A&E. If you put on some of these people, you're like, who is this guy? Right. Then we would no, no problem. But it was just like, it's only these two guys. Like you're, you're kind of missing the, the reach, especially in America. I don't know if you talk to people from Europe, but in America, if you're a hard rock, heavy metal dude, everybody loves Kiss. Yeah, and Tom Morello had a point there because he's from Illinois, like suburbs of Chicago or whatever, Midwest. 
you know, not that far from where I grew up. And that's kind of where Kiss really broke out, not only on the road, but even eventually on the radio. They talked about how the Kiss Army in Terre Haute kind of came ready for bear uh, when the guy refused to play Kiss on the radio station one day, you know, and that was the first effect of the Kiss Army. But, you know, there's a reason they hit in Cleveland and Detroit and places like that, you know, like the hardworking Rust Belt kind of area, because the music kind of kind of made sense. You know, the New Yorks and L.A.s, they might have been like, oh, look at the New York Dolls. Oh, look at Roxy Music. But for the, the Midwesterners, you know, Kiss sonically made a lot of sense. And then the makeup, the characters were tough. They weren't girly guys in makeup. They were kind of superheroes in makeup. Right. And, and I'm looking at this now. Eric Singer is from Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. So same thing. Midwest dude. I saw an interview with them recently. They said, what's the greatest band that ever you know, that ever opened for you or you ever played with? And they were talking back and forth. And Singer said, Rush. And it was kind of like, he's like, yeah, I saw them on that tour. And they, were, they blew everybody out of the water. So you, not only is he a member of the band, but he is a super fan yeah. from back in the day. So, yeah, you're right. It really hit with like, yeah, I don't I, I'm not from New York. I'm not from L.A. I'm this working class guy. And yeah, here, here mm-hmm. are people who are they, they were just the outsiders like I am. So, yeah, that's put it all together and come up with something that you could get behind is pretty cool. And I thought, I was with you, I thought I was weak. I'm like, those are the only two guys. Look, now Tom Morello, Rage Against the Machine, Audio Slave, he's a big star. He inducted them. He gave them the induction speech into the right. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's a big deal. And it was like, they just wheel Dave Grohl out for all these rock and roll things these days. You know, it's, it's <laughs> like, he, he's legit, right? He's legit on two levels. And he knows all about, oh, we got a rock band to talk about. All right, we'll go get Dave Grohl. We need to do a documentary on Sound City. On Sound City. Let's get Dave Grohl to do it. You know, mm-hmm. we, we need someone to talk about how cool Lemmy was. Get Dave Grohl. I mean, he, he's like the, the one. You know, it was like... Right. You're going to let a rock band play at the Grammys? How about the Foo Fighters? You know, I mean, it's he, he's like the last man standing, like last of a dying breed kind of thing. Right. But but to your point, if he could talk about anything rock and roll, then, you know, is is he really that big of a fan? I'm sure he loved Kiss, but, it, I mean, there are, there are guys who, like, I remember Sebastian Bach said something like he bought a car from someone, a Camaro, because it had a Kiss sticker on the dashboard <laughs> right. or something. Like, he's a maniac. Just and, and I think it would have shown that these people aren't fans. They're like rabid, mad dog. They would Those are the guys that would collect everything Kiss when they put it out. That's how you sell $175 million worth of merchandise, is because kids like that will buy anything they can get their hands on. Yeah, and Kiss was the Beatles for a lot of guys who went on to be in hard rock and heavy metal bands, you know, and Mm -hmm. you saw them, but you're also inundated by them, right? Because you you got the lunchboxes and the comic books and the trading cards and all the other stuff. It'd be one thing if, like, the Eagles really caught your ear, like, oh, man, you know, I, I really dig Hotel California and I really, you know, whatever... But then the only time you see them is on the cover of a magazine or something like that. Whereas Kiss, you know, your little sister might have a doll. Your big brother has the records, you know, they're they're cultural icons. Well, and like we talked about on our earlier show about Alive 2, if you were to, maybe you bought that on vinyl when it came out and you opened the gatefold and you saw the picture with all the pyro going off and the drum riser up as high as it would go and you would think that's all I want to do I want to be that cool I want to be that famous 
and have all of those people screaming at me. To your point, the Eagles just sat around in jeans. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they put out good music. They were big stars. But, I mean, you, you, it was like you wanted to be the superhero. Mm-hmm. You know, they just adored. And then there's that concert or the footage from the Rock and Rio deal mm-hmm. where it's behind Gene and he's, you know, pumping his fist. And there's 200,000 people. It, it's just this sea. I mean, yeah, I, I want to do that. I'd love to get to that level. I want to be adored by that many people. I think they just, they missed that, that spark that they, they set off in mm-hmm. the United States. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, between the fact that they had gone disco and they had gone merch commercial and that they had switched out some members and then you throw in a concept album that wasn't much of a concept, and, you know, suddenly in America, they're not the same anymore. Uh, and it's and they have to go elsewhere in the world to, to get to where they want to go. Please check out this word from our sponsors. Oh, wait. We don't have any sponsors. <laughs> we got to talk about the Phantoms more. Kiss and the Attack of the Phantoms or Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, whichever you prefer. For the longest time, it was Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park on VHS. Right. And we had yeah. that VHS. And it's it's campy. It's kind of funny. And we would put it on for a laugh. They did not release the original, original version, I guess because they 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 were embarrassed by it, to be honest with you. <laughs> they, they didn't like it. But the, the original, original had more Kiss music in it. And the way it was sequenced, it made a lot more sense in the part, in, in what we didn't see originally, even though we watched it over and over. And you, who have seen it enough... If you saw the new or the old new version that was on Kissology Volume Two or Three, one of those, I guess I think it's Volume Two, then you would you would oh they they should have done that in the first place. Why did they take that out? Why did they change it? It was a better movie originally. The music was better, and there were some scenes that they left out that would have made it better as well. There's still no real Peter Chris voice in it, and there's still you know a bunch of. From Ace. But the funny thing is, is like, I've seen so many interviews about it over the years, and one was Ace. And it may have been when he was back in the band in the late 90s. It may have been after he was already out. But it's like, yeah, they had to do this acting. Man, I ain't no actor. And then he goes, it's the most Ace thing you may have ever said. It's like, I mean, I can act, but I choose not to. I'm like, yeah, Ace. I've seen Phantom of the Park, you chose not to act while you were acting, okay? And I'm like, that's such an ace thing to do. Like, I am awesome. But I was just, you know, I, I, I just decided not to be awesome at that time, you know? Well, that's, that's they, they kind of glossed over that in the new deal. Of, you know, the, yeah, we did it. No one read the script, blah, blah, blah. But the, I think the point was that, and they talked about this in Extreme Close-Up, they thought, no problem. I mean, acting, we're just playing ourselves. How hard could this be? It's really hard. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when the wheels really came off as they started to do the first read-throughs. Like, these guys can't. It, this is awful. So I think they had to rewrite a lot of the script. And tensions were already high with the band. Right. And it's like, now you want me to do this dope? I think the script was a lot different in the initial concept or the concept was different or something. And they're like, this is terrible. I don't like this. I know all the act was they put that in because that's basically how Ace was communicating with them at that point. He was just kind of making noises because he was totally over it. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, Chris wouldn't do anything. And so they had to get somebody else to do his voice. So I can only imagine the people who actually were producing this just saw this. It was just a garbage fire. Like, we can't. How are we going to do this? But I will say the first time I ever saw it, I was probably – this had to be like the early 80s. Mm -hmm. 
and it was on like the midnight, you know, this Saturday on the Midnight Express, Kiss meets the Phantom. Like, oh. What? And so I stayed up. I don't know how I, maybe I it was, we had, I think we had a TV in the basement. And mm-hmm. so I could sneak down there and watch it. And I'm like, this is so awesome. They must have other ones, right? Like there's got to be a whole series of movies with Kiss does all these things. There wasn't, right. but I mean, that was my, that was my thought of like, this is so, I just saw it for, I saw it for who they were. They were like superheroes back then. Right. And that's it, what differentiates them from the Eagles or whoever, the Fleetwood Mac, Correct. you know? And I, I, I kind of got over the, it was him or his twin. Insufficient data at the moment, that child. Like it was all like, I didn't care. It was just great. Was that Brian James? One of the cops who's, who became kind of a big actor. He did stuff with like, you know, Mel Gibson and... Seeing Blade Runner. Yeah. Yes, that was him. That was Brian that was James. Only, yeah, yeah, correct. So that's funny to see him in there. And then the, the guy who like ran the park was eventually on NYPD Blue with Andy Sipowitz. He, he was, uh, you know, the guy's like, he's just plain sweating. That guy, he, he, yeah. he, he continued to act. He was a cop on NYPD Blue for years. Not one of the main yeah. guys, but a guy who got like two or three shows a year. He, I think, yeah, he's one of those dudes that, yeah, he was never a, he was never a leading actor. But yeah, if you watch those things, he's always somewhere. He's the boss or the dad or yeah, yeah the co-worker that's in what, hey, there he is. Yeah. The girl who, you know, they have the, the kind of young punks who then the Phantom turns into yeah. robots themselves. She, she was in Coneheads. Like, I, I've seen her act in a few things before, so it's funny because anytime I see any of those folks in something else down the line, like, they were in Kiss Meets the Phantom, and everyone's like, huh, what are you talking about? The best scene in that movie, though, is where they're going through the crowd, and there's the guy that just stops and looks right, right? at the camera. Yes, the camera's right panning him, like, by, and he looks right up into it. <laughs> we always <laughs> laugh, right? It's like the dude... In Star Wars, the stormtrooper who conks his head coming through the door to get R2 and 3PO there. Correct. We're always like, watch the dude conk his head. It's like, watch this guy is going to look right into the camera. And he does it every time, of course. Uh, and I'm sure by the great. time they figured that out, it was so late. They're like, we can't, we're not, we only have enough film to get through this thing. We don't, we can't edit this out. So just let it fly. And and the the other thing they show over and over again is when Ace gets thrown mm-hmm. and he hits the wall and it's totally, even though the person's in makeup, you know it's not Ace. It's not anywhere close to being Ace. There's his face right there. Yeah. And his, his black skin, he's African-American, his black skin under his, his white chin, you know? I mean, it's crazy. Uh, but you know, the, what's cool is to me, the Scooby-Doo movie they made basically was, I think, the movie they wanted to make in the first place. Um, oh, kind okay. of, you know, because they do go into, I don't want to, no, no spoiler alerts for anybody who really wants to see the show, but they do go into outer space and they do go to this faraway world and meet with the Elder and, you know, fight the Destroyer. And, you know, it, it made a lot more sense of course, you know, it, it, then you put in Scooby-Doo where it's, you know, it seems like this fantastic or magical or haunted or whatever thing. It's really just some, you know, some well-heeled person trying to make a buck or, you know, someone trying to scare somebody off. The two melded together pretty well, I thought. Kiss and Scooby-Doo and then this kind of extraterrestrial sci-fi thing. It's like, this is really what they kind of wanted the Phantom to be. Because it was supposed to be a Hard Day's Night meets Star Wars. 
Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is a lot closer to that than say the Phantom. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would. I would love to have seen the original script for that because yeah, that's the way Paul described it, and what they got was not anything close to that. That must have been what it was. They just we got to scrap this. This is not going to work. We have to give them as little lines as possible, yet still have them be the stars of the movie. All right. Mm-hmm. Here we go. And we and now I'm sure the budget got slashed down to nothing. So we're going to film this at night at Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and now, okay, we got to change one of your songs so that it's not you telling the kids to destroy the place. It, it's like the bad robot use. Right. So I actually, I actually kind of like rip, rip, rip and destroy. Rip and destroy. Yeah. Yeah. Rip, rip, rip and destroy. And then you hear him in the background going, "Hey, let's tear this place down." Yeah. It's so <laughs> bad. Rip, rip. They basically take Hotter Than Hell and make it into Rip and Destroy. And I, I assume Paul must have changed the lyrics there to, to fit what he was going to sing. Somebody posted that not too long ago on Twitter. It was it was just a concept thing. You know, Kiss Meets the Phantom, the soundtrack. And it was like, this needs to happen. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Go that'd ahead and do great. it. I can't, well, I don't know. I, I was going to say, if there's a way to make money, I'm surprised Gene hasn't done it. But I think that really is a sore point with him. I, I really think the whole Phantom experience is something they, they kind of wish would go away. What we didn't really talk about in our first session on KISS was the whole Tom Snyder, well, we did a little bit, but the, the Tom Snyder Tomorrow program. We, we talked about it some, but yes, for years. Well, yeah. That I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and you talk about the time machine to go there and just sit to watch it happen like off stage. Uh-huh. I, it's like watching a car accident. It's just so bad. Ace is so out of control and he thinks he's the funniest person on the face of the earth, which he was at that point in time. Right. And and the thing about how, according to Gene, Peter, Chris is just loving this because it's rubbing them the wrong way. And if Gene could have reached across and just strangled Ace, he'd have done it. He would have. You could see it on his face. You yes. can see he's shaking his head. He's like, yeah. Meanwhile, Tom... Does Tom just think Ace is funny, or can he? Does he know that he's wasted? I mean, Tom's like he's not in on the joke. Or, or the, the fact too is like, does Tom realize that this is coming off the rails? And what do I do now? We've got somebody who's obviously something is up with him. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you've got to be able to tell that. You've got to be able to tell just from what he's saying that you can't hear on the broadcast. Maybe when he first got there, it's like, oh boy. And then it seems like it's going well because he's laughing, he's making jokes, but you also have to feel the tension on the other side. I think it's interesting that Ace and Peter were sitting next to each other mm-hmm. and Paul and Gene on the other side. Maybe if Gene was sitting next to Paul, he could have, you know, mm-hmm. kind of just grabbed him, you know, by the hand or something mm-hmm. and just said, cool it. Yeah, that's enough. But yeah. they had no control over that. And yeah, Tom's just, it, he certainly does seem like he's fairly oblivious to it. He and does. Maybe he's like, maybe he's like, I don't really interview these guys, like rock and roll guys. I don't know how I got this, but okay, cool. You know, they're just fun guys. They love having fun together. Woo-hoo. Yeah, it <laughs> just feeds into it. So no, it's the Tomorrow Program. They're they're in their total makeup. And I think, are they in the Dynasty costumes? Yeah. So they're pretty big costumes there. The guys in the Shout It Out Loudcast, and if, if for folks out there who don't know the Shout It Out Loudcast, Tom and Zeus are huge KISS fans. They've done over 130 shows and they've had some good guests on. And so every week they're doing a lot of stuff on KISS and they, they did a double episode on the A&E biography. But they mentioned, which they didn't show in the biography, Tom Snyder actually said bass guitar because he was reading it. So it's like Peter Chris on the drums, Gene Simmons, bass guitar. And I think they edited out of the show. 
And then they said, and an Ace Frehley lead guitar. He goes, no, I don't play the guitar. I play the trout. <laughs> you know, and so that makes more sense given that Tom said bass. I didn't okay. know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Okay. So yeah. now Ace is crazy and he's got that cackle. But the whole, I play the trout that doesn't make any sense unless you hear Tom Snyder say bass guitar. So, so, but, so that's, that's what starts off the whole thing. I don't know if he hadn't said bass, if he just say bass. And then Ace has nowhere to go from there. His Ace is raucous. But, I mean, that's first thing out of his mouth. And he gets it. He gets a big laugh from Tom. And then he's off and running. And I was like, everything I say is gold, Jerry, gold. And he's just cracking himself up. He's cracking oh. Tom up. And Peter's Peter there laughing Peter's. along. Yeah. <laughs> now, Paul's take on it was, Peter's not laughing because Ace is funny. He's laughing because it's making me and Gene squirm. It's making us uncomfortable. I'm like, he might have been laughing because Ace is funny, Paul. You know, you, you, you're not a druggie like he was, and you're not his buddy, you know. But druggie buddies find each other funny. So he might have actually thought Ace was being funny. But, I mean, I think Paul's point is, is well taken. At that point, they weren't communicating. They didn't get along. Peter was a, a, a hair away from being out of the band anyway and didn't yeah. want to be with Paul and Gene. I just don't think they understood why Paul and Gene weren't drunk and stoned all the time, too. Like, you know, rock and roll is an attitude. It, at least for Ace and Peter, we come from the street. You got to have a certain attitude. You got to have a certain walk. And yeah, you got to party, man. You, you know, you're not there to, to sit in the office in a tie and figure out beats or, or notes on a scale on a piece of paper. You got to get out there and live it. Whereas Gene and Paul were like, it's great to party. It's great to have a good time. But, you know, we're adults who are working now and you're not supposed to be wasted all the time you're not supposed to blow off recordings so you can go to a card game you know and, and i see their point in that because especially at that point in time like by the dynasty days mm -hmm. i mean it was they were full bore money machine and no i can't go out and just get wasted because i've got to keep my hand on this thing in the right direction but to the point we were talking about before once you lose that once you lose ace and peter and that that kind of like that insanity mm -hmm. does it kind of water it down because everybody else I thought it was a little funny with with singer and Tommy Thayer saying hey this is this is great I mean this is the greatest you know we feel so great playing together of course you do you're getting paid to say that mm -hmm. I mean you're never gonna you're not gonna sit there and badmouth anybody so you kind of lose that that edge I guess it's what I'm is what I'm trying to say without these guys I mean yes they were maniacs but they they kind of gave the rock star legitimacy to the band yeah and there was another interview that I remember seeing. I was watching a little bit. It was like, I think it was Oprah. Mm -hmm. It could have been like, and this was probably like the mid to late 80s. It was still, you know, the Bruce Kulick days. And Paul and Gene were on to talk about like, you know, rock and roll and groupies and stuff like that. And there was a, did you see that? Yeah. It was like some kind of like psychologist or whatever. And, you know, Gene's saying, well, you know, it's my duty to uh, uh, be with all these ladies who need my love and attention. But Paul is sitting on the end, and it's if you watch it, it's really weird because he's got he's like leaning almost uncomfortably like away oh, really? like on the, and so when you watch that, and you're like, so what's going on there? Like they don't look like they're buddies 
at, in this thing. It looks like they're they're out there to promote Kiss and promote the brand, but they would really rather not be sitting right next to each other. At least Paul does. I mean, Gene was sitting there talking about himself and how great he is, so right. maybe he just lost it. But Paul just looks uncomfortable. So I don't know what was going on then, but I know there was a riff between the two of them that they've always kind of glossed over. They always were like, well, you know, we, we got the band, you know, we kept the band together, but I kind of think there was a time when they really didn't talk to each other all that much. Well, you might be right. And it, you know, it was probably there in the eighties when Gene was trying to act and produce and date 10 women and you know, whatever else Gene's up to look hard worker mind that doesn't turn off, you know, straight, no booze, no drugs. Good way to be really. I mean, it'd be hard not to be successful if you work as hard as he does and keep yourself straight, keep yourself in shape like that. But you know, to Paul's point was Kiss is really, and a rock star is really all I ever really wanted to be. And we right. got this big, huge band and now I'm managing it. You know, you're not really, I mean, you get your part of the manager's fee, Gene, but I'm really managing the band. I'm producing the records. I'm writing the songs. I'm singing lead on more of the songs. I'm, I'm coordinating all the stuff with the videos and all that other nonsense, you know? So it, He's like, I'm supposed to have a partner in this. And he, I think he felt let down for a lot of the 80s. Right. Like maybe like, and I, I would imagine that he probably felt a little panicked if any of these things really worked out for Gene, the producing mm-hmm. or the acting. Would he just say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. I'll, I'll go do something else. You can, you can do Kiss and pay me, you know, what I'm owed off that, but you can do it by yourself. And I think even at the beginning when he was talking about going with Gene to the, just accompanying him to that upstate deal or whatever, because he knew that this was his, this was his guy that was going to take him where he wanted to go. Mm-hmm. He must have been panicked. Like if, if Gene really checks out, this is done. It can't go on. And I think even though uh, Paul was always the front man, the presence of Gene Simmons gave it a little more legitimacy too. Like he was the, you know, he was the... He's the the face. He's he's always been the face of the band and he is the brand. Just talking about Kiss, putting out their front. Paul is the lead singer and the front man. But but Gene is the face of Kiss. Paul may be the voice, but Gene is the face, no doubt Mm -hmm. about it. And so to lose that, I mean, I think he knew that if Gene really checked out, that would be it. There would be no more Kiss. And then where does that leave him? I mean, I know he's gone on to do, like I think he did Phantom of the Opera, up in Toronto. Yeah. He had to put that in one of those deals. And oh, he met Bravo. Eric Singer or, uh, to do his solo tour, right? He did a on solo club tour. tour. Yeah, club tour, yeah. Which everybody saw. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, did we hear about that on Extreme Close-Up too? Yeah. <laughs> or just that, that, the last part about, it was on my club tour, which everybody saw. And I can just see Gene, uh, yes, sure, I, absolutely. Yeah, so... Uh, Interesting that they they're a little older, a little wiser. The reunion tour it was it was heartbreaking because you wanted to you wanted to see them always be together for this, and then they've moved on, and yeah. the, the old things just never really go away. You know, you, everybody gets back together, everybody's happy. It's mm-hmm. like you know you meet your old girlfriend or something, and you think you know why why did we ever break up? She was yeah. great, and then it's like oh, oh yeah, now I remember. This is the same <laughs> all over again. Correct Amundo. That's what it is. And that's what's so sad to me because look, Ace and Peter may still be getting, you know, kiss royalties and stuff like that from back catalogs and stuff like that, but they weren't making millions of dollars. They weren't having huge lives being solo artists. Chris didn't put out that much, didn't tour much. 
Ace continued to tour, but he also continued to have alcohol problems and legal problems and marital problems and stuff like that. So, I mean, they, they should have had money to live on, and I'm pretty sure they did, but they didn't have it rolling in. Now it's 96, 97, 98, 99, and you're back. Now, it's hard work, okay? I mean, they, they worked them hard. They did big shows. The mm-hmm. tours went on forever. They made a new album in Psycho Circus, which maybe they didn't get to participate in that much, but then you got to play the songs live and stuff like that. You know, I think I think the work all of a sudden, because, you know, in their, in their 20s or maybe their early 30s, they're like, I can drink and smoke and snort and do whatever. And then now you're in your, your 40s, your late 40s, you know, starting to kind of get up there close to 50 it's like you can't do it that way you can't like do a bunch of cocaine and stuff all and just you know come back the next day and give a great show and i think like you said before gene paul never left the band they're used to doing big shows even if big is now ten thousand instead of twenty thousand they're still doing big tours they never stop their whole careers right for ace and peter to come back especially those stadium tours to begin with that's a lot of pressure, you know. And even if you go back to arenas and amphitheaters, still it's it's pressure they're not used to and a work schedule. And even in the documentary, Ace is like, suddenly all these days off we were supposed to have are getting filled up with tour dates and interviews and travel. And, and Ace said way back in the day, look, the two hours on stage is great. It's like the travel and it's the other stuff that I have a problem with, you know. And he, right. he obviously doesn't know how to take care of himself. That's... I mean, you know, he, he'll admit that. Right. And and even though now, as we're, you know, talking about this, he is sober. And I think he just celebrated a, a anniversary of being sober. So that's excellent for him. But back then, not so much. And to your point, you know, everything is kind of, you're looking at it with fresh eyes again on that tour. Like, oh, yeah, I remember this. I remember playing the shows. I remember being together. And I remember what we used to do in between. And I'm going to have a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. And, and then you get to the point where they've taken away your days off. They've added more shows. And, uh, I mean, I love to party, but I can't do this anymore. And so now what do you do? Now you, now you feel like, okay, it, you know, I'm, I'm walking around with one broken leg. And the rest of the guys in the band are like, uh, this is not going to work. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to work. And then Peter Chris had to deal about how he – and he said this. It, it, the stuff that they had was interviews from before. Right. But he said something about how like he did the they, – they got together. They negotiated. They did the first part of the tour. And then he said – and I well, I don't quote, but something like, I've been a good boy. Mm-hmm. I've played along. Now I want to get paid. And they said, you don't understand or you didn't want to understand. That was never going to be the case. Right. You were always going to be a, a, a less a less than a shit, you know, the less share. And it was never going to be equal. And I think it sounded like he was holding out in his mind. He thought, yeah, we'll do this for a little while and then we'll get back together equally. Mm-hmm. And that was never going to happen. Never going to happen. And I, I'm just curious as what the numbers are, because when it came to the Eagles, when they got back together, it was Glenn and Don, Glenn Fry and Don Henley get double shares. They get, mm-hmm. so there's seven shares in the band now. Tim Schmidt, Joe Walsh, Don Felder each get one X share and Glenn and Don get two X and that's the way it's going to be. And if you have a problem with that, you're out of the band. Well, Tim, you know, Joe's in rehab. So he's like, yeah, I'll take whatever. <laughs> Tim, Tim needed the money. And Felder was like, wait a minute, but I'm still like the CFO of the Eagles Corp. And I'm supposed to be a, one of the two thirds, you know, or two share members too. And, you know, Glenn and Don, it's like, no, no. It's our band. We founded it. We wrote the big songs. 
weird superstars outside of the band and you can take this deal you can leave it and so he took it for a while and then by you know the end of the 90s early 2000s it, it just was a problem for don felder and eventually they just said fine you're out of the band and yeah i would love to know what the percentages were they've been very good about keeping them quiet i would assume it would be like there's eight shares three for gene three for paul and one for peter one for ace but there's the famous story that Ace got drunk and blabbed to Peter that he's making more than he was. Maybe he's getting a share and a half. I don't know. But that's what really killed Peter and eventually led him to leave because he found out Ace was getting more than him. Yeah. And, and it might not even be shares. It might just be straight cash. We, we're going we're gonna to play this many shows over this many dates, and mm-hmm. this is what we will pay you for it. Because I know Gene said something about how Ace was mad because he thought he should be making more money or something like that. And, and Gene's deal was that he was the one taking all the risk. Gene was. Mm-hmm. Because even if they never sold the tickets, which... I mean, come on, come on, highly unlikely, but still, yeah. Ace was going to get that money. He was going to get paid the agreed upon amount. Ah. So that's why I think I, there might not have been shares. It was just, you know, you, we're going to give you money. Mm-hmm. And then Paul said something about talking to Peter saying, hey, let's go to Australia. I'll pay you a million dollars to do this. Dollars, yeah. And then and then I, I don't know how Chris worked the math backwards in his head, but, you know, obviously he thought that was ridiculous because they would be making so much more than that. He wanted an equal amount. But, I mean, to, to your point, you're, and we love you. We'd love to have you in the band, but the days of you having a voice are way gone. They're gone. I mean, you know? it's just yeah. If it wasn't for me, you would be spending the rest of your life playing clubs. And and that was the big thing that they kind of brought up was the reason that you can do this is because of me. We kept the brand going. We kept waving the flag. We've mm-hmm. been playing for twenty years on our own, and it's because of that that we can do this. So you should be happy. No, nobody was happy. Nobody was when happy. When it comes to that much money, it's just it, it's just never going to work out. Suddenly, you just want more. And it's- not look it's not strange for a band to pay a player x per show and, and if you're a big Correct. time player yeah you could be five ten twenty thousand per show maybe you know it it can be that high and then you do x number of shows you'll make x number of dollars you know but yeah i mean paul and gene own the corporation and there's a reason they had two spare outfits at the ready one spaceman <laughs> outfit and one catman outfit because they knew this could happen all over again. I think the first couple of tours went well, and I think I saw them both in the Psycho Circus tour. I actually liked, you know, and they gave them a chance to play their songs, and they did. I saw them, they let do Ace. Ace would get a song kind of like Keith would, you know, for the Stones. And I saw him do 2000 Man. I saw him do New York Groove. Which I thought was, I thought that was pretty cool because I, I, I just thought to myself when he went into it, okay, well, this is this is from the solo album. So that's, you know, we're, we're kind of off the catalog a little bit. I understand that was probably, you know, it was a big song for him. And we were in the garden, so that was cool. But still, yeah, interesting. I mean, they could he could have done Shock Me. He could have done something that was on a regular Kiss record. Mm-hmm. But that was pretty cool. That was cool, you know. And so you got to see him do a, a, a few of those. And it was great to just have everybody back. But then to see Doc McGee, say you know as good as it was at the beginning when we you know, after everybody's excited and they worked at it and by the end of it it was bad like the playing had gotten bad and ace is out of control again he, you know he he had some model who he was dating at the time basically write a book about and sell him out on how you know how crazy he would get with the booze and the drugs and how it ruined her life and i'm like well well sweetie i, I feel bad that your life is ruined but <laughs> 
It'd be one thing if you dated Ace Frehley in the 70s, like, wow, he really got out of control. But it's like, if you date him in the 90s, like, what, what did you think was going to yeah. happen? <laughs> yeah, and, and you ruined your life, but you're, you're writing this book about it. Uh-huh. Do you think if you wrote a book, if you didn't know him, people would have bought it? Probably not. Probably. So. That was that was the sad thing. You know, I mean, they could have. The thing is, if, if Ace could have kept himself straight and Peter could have just not been a dick, is, is, <laughs> is the way that I kind of look at it, they could have stayed with the band a lot longer and they would have made a ton of money but I do also see their point in that I helped start this I am a co-founder and they listed them on every single one of the spots their name came up in the episodes Peter Chris co-founder of KISS they always gave them their due credit I'm a co-founder and yet I'm just a paid employee by you guys and you tell me I have to be on time you have to tell me I have to be sober you tell me this you tell me that yeah the same way you do to the road crew so now I'm just yeah I'm just an employee and that's really where I think that the documentary to their not to their fault I mean they asked them to be a part of it that's where it really would have benefited because I would really have liked to have heard Peter and Ace's recollection of the reunion tour and how it came off the rails mm-hmm. uh, because that would have been interesting because they, they they got painted in a certain light. It wasn't wrong. I mean, what happened happened. Right. I would have just liked to heard their take on it, especially Peter Chris, because Ace, I think, kind of just gave up. He just couldn't take it anymore yeah, physically. Tired. And But Peter, it sounded like he was really unhappy with the pay structure and how he was treated. Mm-hmm. So I just would have liked to hear his take on it and, and fresh in that setting and not from an interview from, I mean, it, it was probably 10 years before that. Right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's the, like I said before, because it is now going to be the documentary on KISS, there's no reason they shouldn't have been in. But the fact is, they had that disclaimer, Peter, Chris, and Ace Fraser were asked to participate in this, they declined, and they don't endorse its views. Their lawyers had them put that in there. So it's costing you money. Yeah, if you had been in it, you wouldn't have gotten paid as much as Gene and Paul, and they could have only used stuff that made you look bad or something like that and not taken out the positive stuff. But it cost you money to be in it, and and we're missing some firsthand testimony. Whereas now you had to pay your lawyers to not be in it. It has this little BS disclaimer in it. But your voices from interviews, even from your buddy Eddie Trunk Ace, are in there, you know, from over the right. years, from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and, and beyond. So it's not like they're not in there. It's just you're not sitting down here at the end able to say what you truly feel. And that's, I think, regrettable for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and, and to your point, yeah, this is it. They're not going to do another one. So you, we're going to have to, we're going to have to take this as the kind of the last one. And it, it, it really would have been cool to hear what they had to say. I mean, hell, I would have loved to hear Vinnie Vincent talk for a while. Cause that would have just been, I mean, he could have done an hour of just insanity about what those days. So it was, they, I understand it's a lot of time to compress into even two episodes but yeah, just to have Ace and Peter come back and I don't know, air it, I don't even know if they would have aired their grievances at this point in time. I mean, it, it, time has gone past, but just to hear them recount that would have been a little more interesting. I agree, because, you know, Bill Coin would have been in it, but he passed away. You know, they got everybody who was key, for the most part, to speak in it, who was alive and who could do so. You know, Neil Bogart might not be with us anymore, but let's get who we can get. And not having Ace and Peter in, it's their own fault. I, I get it, but it's at the same point, I'm like, just just do it, man, and, and take the money. I, maybe it's an insult, but, you know, just take it and then talk about it. If they don't use it, that footage will get out somehow, right? 
Right, right. And you and you can always say that too. Hey, listen, the, the thing that was in there, that wasn't anything close to what I what I put out. Yeah, it'll be on YouTube or something. The other thing too that I thought was interesting is Paul on Twitter put out something about how he apologized for the way that he portrayed Bob Ezrin as like this, you know, cocaine functioning cocaine you know, addict. Something about, you know, he, he regretted hurting his feelings or something like that. But I'm like, that really happened. Mm-hmm. Like I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that he was out of his mind just to kind of set the picture of what was going on. It wasn't all rosy and the end result that destroyer was fantastic. Okay, cool. How'd you get there? Right. What, what, well, you didn't just show up every day. Now let's just play some things. I wanted to hear that he was this taskmaster and he was, you know, working probably 14 hours a day because he was on blow. That really happened. Show me what happened. Don't sugarcoat it for me. Yeah, no, and, and it's and it's when the cracks started to come in the band. Because to that point, they had toured together relentlessly. They'd made the first few records together with a producer, yes, but, you know, as best they could. And now he was more like, no, we're charting this out. And now Ace, your solo goes, da-na-na-na, da-na-na-na-na. Like, that's how the solo was written, which is not how rock and rollers write solos. You go out and you jam and you feel it and you're like, oh, I think I've got something here. That's what rock and roll is. And yeah, it made Ace, I think, especially feel like they didn't believe in him. He wasn't good enough for them. Uh, and he started to crawl into his alcoholic shell a little bit. And it was, you know, after Phantoms, and it was after they put out Rock and Roll Over Love Gun, where you had an Ace Fraley song, Shock Me, where he was doing lead vocals on it and on Kiss Alive 2 where it was kind of a minor hit for them partly because of the novelty of it hey Ace Fraley is singing but we love that song and it gave him some confidence like hey I can go out and do a solo album and, and then they of course all famously did solo albums and, and I think Eddie Kramer gave him a big boost by changing the New York groove form but then he had more power in the band after that Jackson three songs on Dynasty and three more on Unmasked, Ace Fraley at that point. And he had that power. And Gene and Paul had to cede it to him because he did have the biggest selling solo record. It was the best. I mean, look, his vocals still aren't that good, but I think as a collection of songs, it was the best put together of the four of them. And most of those songs, at least half of them, would have been great Kiss songs. So, and then, you know, side four of Alive 2 had Rocket Ride, whereas, you know, like All American Man and Plaster Caster, like those songs by Gene and Paul aren't that good. No. But but Ace's stuff kind of is. So he's like, yeah, I deserve this power. But he just, he still wasn't making the most of it, right? He still wasn't playing right. his best, you know, or taking care of himself. Well, and then the other problem, too, is they, they kind of made reference to this about how, so you've got Ezrin, who is a cocaine enthusiast at mm-hmm. that point in time but can get all this work done. You've got Peter Chris sitting there saying, this guy can out-party me and he can get everything done. Maybe this isn't such a bad deal. I mean, come on, don't give me a hard time. Mm-hmm. I can do both. I can keep it under control, which we knew he couldn't. But to, to Ace's deal, he he put out the Origins records mm-hmm. a couple years ago where he records Cold Gin and Parasite. I'm like, man, I know at that point in time, the early days, he really was not confident in his vocals, but it sounds really cool to hear him sing his own songs. Yeah, especially Cold Gin. I mean, Gene's never been drunk. Why does he sing the Cold Gin song? You know, that, that right. never really made sense. Now, he does it great, and it's a good demon character kind of a song. It's, it's way, yeah, it's way better than Paul singing it. Oh, yeah. yeah. To hear Ace Hell, Gene! <laughs> 
because you know it's cold gin time for him and you know it'll always win yeah. and really probably the only thing that keeps us together yeah and, and the guys in the shout out loudcast talk about the ace cult and, and there is a bit of a cult out there that you know just adores ace gene and paul are assholes he's the real rock star among them look i love ace you do too. We've always been lead guitar guys. One fateful night in our, our sophomore year of spring where we had double digit drinks. I, I and maybe a few other kind of things you might smoke. <laughs> I actually had a conversation with our Ace Fraley poster, and I think you woke up like, "Hey, so is Mac? Is, is somebody else in the room here with us?" Because well, you'd already had the good sense to pass out. Whereas I'm like, "There's another beer or two in the fridge," you know. And I stay at it, and I swear his lips were moving back to me, and I'm like, and I realize <laughs> that that's not actually happening. I'm like, wow, dude, you are really you got slow and down here but but it, i'm so glad that it was ace above say like jimmy page because you know it, it, it'd be so ace ace would talk to a poster when he was wasted so yes. for me to talk to my ace poster i think makes uh, a lot of sense but you know he he's he's an idiot he you know he's he doesn't work very hard now since he got sober you can see his output has really increased <laughs> whether you like the quality or not or it's too little too late you know i understand that but in the last decade or so that he's been sober he's put out a bunch of records original material the two origins records he's done some tours so i'm happy he's gotten himself together but i mean ace is who he is he's an idiot and i love him anyway i was gonna say he's an idiot but he's our idiot yeah. and i think he definitely added he, they said right from the beginning you know, he comes in he's got two different sneakers on he can't really stand up straight oh my equilibrium's off like, <laughs> i mean is he really from outer space he might be that can't be true could it <laughs> but yeah he was the he was the spark that kind of gave them the legitimacy even when they were doing the i mean even go back to the tom snyder deal you know what this is a huge deal we're being interviewed on this national program and you show up drunk is there any more rock star thing to do <laughs> exactly. that? just make an ass out of yourself no there really isn't so i think he always was that he always was that uncontrollable wild card that you hated to work with because mm -hmm. you didn't know what you were going to get but at the same time he did add the spark there whereas if you had once you got into the other guys in the band they were just like uh-huh great super we love being here right yeah couldn't ask for something better and and especially even even vinnie vincent who was i mean what was he like 12 when he started in the <laughs> band or something like he got to join this already established deal you you would just be so happy to be there mm -hmm. and then you know i i'd never heard of mark st john before or after and even bruce kulik was was essentially a no one Mm -hmm. until he got into the band so yeah these guys are all just happy to be there where ace is like eh, you know take it or leave it right. well you saw the photos and we know the stories once they picked up peter they tried it as a trio for a little while right it was like got mm -hmm. gene and paul's songs peter's got that voice you got a three-part harmony you've got enough singers in the band let's try it but the sound just wasn't quite there yet it's so like okay we need a lead guitar player they try bob kulik they try some other folks but it was when ace came into play like that's it. Whatever it is, whatever chemistry is, like you don't you don't plan to fall in love with somebody, uh, but then you see him and you talk to him, you get to know him, and all of a sudden you feel this thing like, what is it? It must yeah. be love. Like when you hear this sound, like that's it. That's the sound, and then it's the four of them, and that was always it. Really, and then so without Ace, look, and Tommy does a great Ace impersonation. 
He sure. does better than Ace can really do himself these days. Right. Um, so as far as giving the people the best show, you should see Tommy over Ace right now with Kiss. However, Ace has that certain something that you can't bottle, that you can't make Amigo toy out of. There, there's some kind of special chemistry magic, and it's it, it, it's just, look, it's weird the way talent is dispersed. You know, Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player on the earth, or his kids are going to be great, right? Well, no, they barely played in college, you know. Yeah. Part of that is drive. They don't need to be the best basketball player in the world to still be filthy rich. But, you know, yeah, it's like talent gets sprinkled out in just the oddest, weirdest places. And this talent or charisma Ace has is, is special. But, yeah, it comes in a package of idiocy um, <laughs> that waters it down, you know, and it keeps it from being what it could be. Yeah, and, and there, was a, there was a comment after this show came out about the Alive, the first Alive record and how all of these, you know, it, somebody said, I, I can't tell you the number of guitarists that tell me they picked up a guitar after they listened to Ace on Alive, the first Alive record. And to see even interviews today with younger guys who just who just sit there and just eat up everything that he has to say. Oh, you know, here's how I play this. Like he starts with the bend or something. Like, oh, I never knew that it was like that. He doesn't play. It's not super flashy. It's not super fast. But he just has this quality that it's kind of somewhere in the middle. He's not Eddie Van Halen. He's not Tommy Iommi with the riffs. But he just he has his own. If you hear it, you that's Ace. Like even if you've never heard the song before, if you heard him play it, you he's got that Ace quality about it that just added to the coolness of the band. He has a very distinct tone and style. You can pick it out really easily, and his solos made sense. You know, they start in a certain place, they build to a certain point, they end, boom, and then you're right back. You know, to the to the final verse or whatever, or to the end of the chorus, and yeah. He brought something special to them. But just like they said at the end of the documentary, they couldn't have gotten where they got without Ace and Peter, but they couldn't have stayed there or maintained it with them. Uh And it's just true. Ace is not built for that physically. Peter, it seemed it was more of a personality thing. But I think with Ace, it's just like, I can't do all this work, man. I'm tired, yeah. you know? I mean, it, like you said, never the hardest working man. But but I, that, that's the way Peter Chris really came across. It's just kind of this malcontent, mm-hmm. you know, yo, I'm, I'm going to point this out. I'm going to, I'll never be satisfied with anything that I have. So to, to your point before, now you've got Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer and their facsimiles. And no, it's not the same two guys, but they're going to be on they're going to be perfect every single time you see them so from a show point like they like they talked about it when they made alive do you want to hear the mistakes over and over again mm-hmm. or do you want to hear perfection and with those two guys you get perfection every time yeah and at this point look peter would be in his 70 too old he's too old yeah. to be kiss on stage maybe he could do charlie watts stuff but to yeah. do kiss for two hours i don't think so now look eric singer's not a kid anymore uh he's in his 50s if he's not 60 I mean, he's pretty old at this point but he has kept himself in great shape and has been doing it for so long at this level and actually has a fairly decent voice mm-hmm. not as good as peter's peter may have had the best voice voice of everyone in the band and that includes Paul as far as singing his songs too right I, I think he hits them really well but he has a nice voice but he he couldn't still be in the band Ace could but I don't think that he should and if, if Ace was still in the band you'd have to probably play half the shows in the same amount of time to give him the time but yeah and you're right because I mean he's old now too 
And mm-hmm. even though he is sober, he beat himself up physically. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, there's the famous story of the DeLorean crash where, you know, they say to him, were you wasted? And he comes back in Ace faction and says, I was beyond wasted. <laughs> you can't beat yourself up over and over and over again. I mean, he's just, he's, he's frail at this point in time. He can still play and that's cool. But night after night on these huge arena shows, no. He just can't take it anymore. Well, with those boots on, man, I can't believe there isn't more footage of him just falling the fuck down. Seriously. I mean, I'm like, I couldn't walk in those things sober with all the gear on, too. And then, you you know, you got to do the the deuce, you know, shake or whatever. I'm like, eh. Yeah. And after, you know, four or five Crown Royals, too, it's... Ooh, it's getting hot up here. Yeah, my, mine would have to be like really fat at the bottom, you know, to like pyramid kind of thing, just to make sure I had that that reinforcement. But then I really wouldn't be able to walk. I just have to stand there the whole show. Your regularly scheduled program will return after a few moments. This is the end, right? End of the road. No more yeah. after this, and probably a good thing. Yeah, I, I, I can, we were talking about this in the last part of the show. They would have to do something. I saw them on the end of the road. Okay, they would have to do something super extra special for me to get. I mean, if they came back and said we're doing another tour, come on now. You, mm-hmm. First of all, you lied to me. Second of all, what could you possibly do to make me want to come out and see you again? So to, to your point, yeah, this this should just be the giant send off, and then everybody can go on and do their own thing. Right. So hopefully. So, you know, and I guess Peter's pretty well retired at this point, you know, has money and doesn't need to work. And he apparently is going to be on the next John Five record in some capacity, a song or two. So, I mean, it would be cool to hear him play. But but yeah, it, he, he is retired. I, I don't think he's doing anything. Ace is, well, I mean, he's going to be on tour with Alice Cooper. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and, and his his uh, origin records were pretty cool just to hear him. Because I know he's not a huge, he doesn't really want to write songs. That's a lot of back to. I don't really want to work. Mm-hmm. So to hear him do the old stuff, Parasite, Cold Gin, and then do some of the songs that he loves, covers up. Yeah, like White Room cool. and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, Good stuff. You know, look, I support him. I buy his records. Mm-hmm. I don't always love them. I, sometimes I don't give them more than one listen. But they have cool artwork. Takes me back to a time, and I support Ace Fraley. Even though, you know, I didn't make Monster. I didn't make. I didn't buy Sonic Boom. You know, I didn't buy all that stuff. Because my Kiss has enough of my money. You know, I'd rather get a re-released version or maybe I need to go back and finally listen to The Elder, right? I don't need to listen to Monster or Sonic Boom, you know. Do you play anything from those records? Not really. Certainly not on the end of the road tour where they want to hear, you know, just all the greatest stuff, mostly from the 70s, maybe a little bit from the 80s, but it's mostly all from the 70s, as it should be. I'm, I'm happy to close the book on Kiss. Now, like I said, if they came to London one more time on this end of the road tour, I didn't think they were because I we saw them at the O2 and it was supposed to be when we come to your town, that's it. We're not going back there anymore. We're going to go hit a lot of other towns, but, you know, we're not coming back. And maybe they're going to play someplace else in England. They're going to play, you know, they play like a, the Download Festival. I think Kiss is one night and Iron Maiden's another night as far as okay. headliners of the download or, or one of those big ones in 2022. So that's it's technically not London. It'll be outside of London. I'm not a festival guy. I don't want to be in that mass of people. I certainly don't want to be there all day. I don't care how good the lineup is. Just give me one band and I'm probably going to leave before the last song anyway so I can beat the traffic. You know? <laughs> that's just kind of where I am now. Because well, you know, like, Do I need to see rock and roll all night You know, for the 10th time? 
Probably not. So, you know, if I can get out five minutes early, it's like a 30-minute advantage, um, you know, getting out of there. You know, if if they came to London, my daughter's old enough to maybe go through the whole show, I would probably consider it if she really wanted. But I'm happy to say I've seen my last Kiss show. Now, do you think there's going to be some kind of last event where you do see the likes of a, a Bruce Kulick or maybe Ace and Peter? Maybe a Vin- Vinny would shock me. Uh, but yeah. he, he did he did show up. You know, it's like he played with Gene and Paul at some acoustic thing in the last couple of years. You know, he's he like, did that deal for the for Gene Simmons' vault. Mm-hmm. I know that he he played that. That was not a Paul thing. I would okay. I would love to see that, but after this documentary, I don't know if they they would really have to pay them well to come out and and do that. But it would be fantastic. I think I think uh, Bruce Kulick would do it in a heartbeat. He mm-hmm. sounds like he's made his peace and is cool and has moved on and just a real solid guy anyway. Mm-hmm. Vinny, I think, is an insane person. Right. So it, he, it could be a deal where they make the deal and he just never shows up. I don't know. I don't know if he can still play, but that would be cool if they could, just for the sake of the fans, get everybody back for one deal. Just, yeah, one more time. And I, they, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you would do it. I mean, you're, you're going to put them in the makeup and let them come out and do it? I, see, because yeah. I wouldn't let Peter play the drums. But if he wants to come out and sing Beth or, or Black Diamond, they're playing Black Diamond on this tour, uh-huh. let him sing it. Eric can sit behind the drums and bang him out, and Peter could come on stage in the, and, and sing the song, maybe. could let Ace come in and do whatever it is, New York Groove or, or Shock Me or, or whatever is appropriate. Let him do Cold Gin, mm-hmm. maybe. That would freak the people out. That would be cool. And then they, they could all sing together for rock and roll all night or something like that. But you can't bring Bruce out in makeup. You're going to have a, a third ace out there. You <laughs> can't bring Vinny out there. Although, if anyone needs to cover their face, it's Vinny. My God. That poor, unattractive man. It's, it's like his face melted off. Like, the, you know, in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's like he had five seconds of that. You know, when he was 12 years old and he's never recovered, you know. But I I, I doubt that. Yeah. But would there be anybody else? Yeah. It it would be, it would be so far-fetched. Now, I mean, I never thought they'd do that reunion with the acoustic deal. Mm -hmm. So who am I to say? But at this point in time with this documentary that I don't know if the, if the relationship is beyond repair and would it take a sum of money? I mean, let's face it. There is a sum of money somewhere that would make this happen. Mm-hmm. Are they willing to part with it for what they get? I don't know. I mean, that's the other thing, too. It's like, I'll pay you 50000 for the documentary. But then you don't get any royalties from the documentary. And then, you know, the other two get all these royalties because it's a hit on mm-hmm. A&E and they play it over and over. I got it on um, British YouTube, the whole thing. and then, it, But it's in like four-minute clips, which is kind of annoying. But instead of like two and a half, three minutes of commercials like you had on A&E, it's like 15 seconds and then it's back. Oh, okay. um, so it's actually a pretty efficient way to be able to rewatch it all. And that's what I've been doing here over this last couple of weeks but you know at the end of the day it was a great documentary i, I loved the early days stuff I, I loved anything behind the scenes and, and just talk about how they got studio time and how eddie kramer got into the picture because you know like i said all these interviews kiss exposed kissed extreme close-up all the other interviews and behind the musics and whatever it is we commit all that stuff to memory because we're super fans you know so right. anytime there's a new nugget that comes out that's like, oh man, you know, it's cool. I didn't know that kind of thing. I love, and you know, that's why I'm a sucker for any good documentary on a band. But Kiss has already been so well documented. The fact that they did shed some new light 
or, or and, and to see Gene just as a human being, because mm-hmm. in those other ones, he's just, I'm the greatest. I'm the, I've had sex with everyone's mother. I've, you know, I'm a multi-bazillionaire. I invented stage lighting. You know, he's, he's Mr. Big Time. But to see now that, okay, yeah, my ego was out of control. That was a problem. He has a little humility now and can appreciate it a little bit more. I'm not saying Paul isn't appreciative of it, because I think he is. But it seems like axes to grind or, or, or stuff that's still a bother to him was as big on the agenda as showing his appreciation. Hmm. Yeah, and, and and I would agree with you. And it, it was, I, and that's the way I went into this thing, saying, okay, you're going to have to do something to impress me because it, we've seen everything a million times. And yeah, they did have some cool stuff in there. And I appreciated, I, I think I went into it saying, I, I'm, I have kind of low expectations because it's, it's really, for somebody who kind of has a yeah I've heard of them yeah you know Kiss 70s okay but to to bring up some new stuff especially the early stuff like you said is really cool and and to kind of see that they've maybe gone past the they really realize that it's all about the fans that that's what's kept them alive for so long and that there was a point in time where they were on kind of on autopilot mm-hmm. and the fans carried them through that they were very appreciative of that and they re- they returned that appreciation with what we really wanted which was Correct. the bombastic 70s stage show with the original guys and then, okay, the original guys are gone. Give us the same stage show, right? You know, continue yeah. to push the limits, you know, make it cool. And Paul even said that we couldn't just give them the show that they remember because shows had progressed past that. You know, it, right. it had to be as big in their mind, but also in touch with today. And, you know, this end of the world thing's crazy where Paul kind of flies all the way to the back of the mm-hmm. arena and they come down on the things. It's just, it's an assault on your senses, but that's what Kiss always was supposed to be, a show an entertainment spectacle to rock and roll. Right. Where you walk out of the arena like, man, I just got beat up. I got beat up for, you know, two and a half hours or wherever they play. Yeah, with the lights and the flames and the stage moving around and the music. And yeah, the thing with Paul, especially if you're sitting in the back where he comes out to kind of midway or maybe even past midway and does the couple of songs out there. That's pretty cool uh, to put it all together. Yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic show. But I mean, imagine back in the day when you were talking to the Ace poster, thinking, I mean, we thought the same thing. There's no way in a million years, there's no way that we'll ever see them get back together. There's, mm-hmm. And then there you are sitting there saying, I can't believe this is happening. And it's, I mean, we didn't get to see them in the 70s, but like that first reunion tour, it was, it, that had to be about what Alive 2 was. Right. Yeah, exactly. They designed it that way. Like, the, you know, the yeah. stage and the costumes and everything. And we're like, oh my God, I'm so glad we got to this point, you know? Uh, yeah. Seriously, because when, when I really started to get into Kiss... Look, I, like I knew Kiss in the 70s, but I was a little kid. And then in the 80s, they were kind of just another band, a uh, right. hard rock band. You know, yeah, they had some songs that I knew. But then it was in the late 80s, I just kind of got into Kiss and, and I got into the makeup part of it, thinking, man, I'm sorry that I missed this. And I'd really right. like it to come back somehow. And I'm going to follow Kiss. And, you know, we saw him on the Revenge Tour, which was great. But it was still like I would trade anything to be able to see Kiss in their whole thing again. And it wasn't really that long after that that it happened. No, and I remember being in Daytona watching the, the Revenge show saying, yeah, this is this is cool. And they've gone to like the black leather outfit 
bits, you know, they're, they're a little more hip than they have been, but mm-hmm. yeah, it really would be nice if only there was a way that they could all get back together. But I know that'll probably never happen because they're all mad at each other. Yeah. To be sitting there in Madison square garden with, I know I went with the, two of my, two of my brothers and, and some other rando guy, but just saying, I never thought this day would happen. I never, and we were all saying the same thing. I think everybody in Madison square garden was saying the same thing. This was never going to happen. Cause I looked out, there were some crusty people there mm-hmm. who maybe had seen them originally, but most of the people were like us. You mm-hmm. just grown up listening to a live one and two saying, man, I wish I could go. So now here I, I am. I know. Cause we were just a little, just a little young for it. Although, I mean, I think the guys in the shout out loud cast are like the same age uh, or, or thereabouts. Like he was talking yeah. about, he was six years old when he got Dynasty. I'm like, well, that's that's when I would have gotten Dynasty if I got it when it first came out. But I didn't get records when I was six years old, you know. Right. Like, they, obviously, they had someone a little bit cooler in their lives to guide them so. down yeah. the path. That wraps up part two of our two-part series on KISS, the history documentary from A&E. A really career-spanning and now defining documentary on the band KISS. And whether you are a huge fan, you're a casual fan, you liked them in the 70s and you grew out of them, and you just want to learn a little bit more about this incredible band and all the ups and downs and trials and tribulations, I highly recommend it. It was well-produced. It was well made. It's regrettable that Ace Fraley and Peter Chris elected not to participate. But that is what it is. All KISS fans know that that's just the way it is these days. And we hope they are able to wrap up their end-of-the-road tour, hit all their dates, go out on a high note, uh, and leave us remembering how great they were live. As usual, we want to know, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Please tell us. Tweet us at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. Make sure you check out all of our past episodes at www.UglyAmericanWerewolf.Libsyn.com. Download and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, be it Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, most anywhere you get your podcasts. This show's long enough, so I'm going to sign off. For all you rock and rollers all over the world, be cool and stay safe. To achieve the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.